And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice, a spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up on the show today, in the first hour, from um, the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room on campus, uh, you'll hear readings or performances by Bryce, Lynn, Tia, Jack, Aaron, Bob, Kobe, Kat, and Billy. In the second hour, from an April 4th uh, book launch and reading event, Held at Novel Idea Bookstore, you'll hear Rick Prashaw uh, talking about and reading from the book he co-wrote uh, with his son about and around the latter's life. And it's the book was called Soar, Adam Soar. Uh, this first, though, uh, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on the show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I think I'll have a bit of time at the end of maybe the second hour, and don't think so much the first hour. Uh, We'll see how that goes uh, to share a few upcoming events or calls. And uh, so... Let's go ahead and just jump into it again from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam Strictly Open Mic event held at the Tea Room on campus. And as hosted by Billy Kearns, you're going to hear Bryce. Yes! Sunday in the park, each letter must dip and dive like a circus. Never acrylic always oils so that when they leave my throat, the intonation is always smooth. Never creaking or squeaking, no one likes a messy portrait. I want to take a chance and say something different without mixing in fear that thins out what I have to say. I take the canvas of my words and let their nails be driven through. I leave my words on a wall for the world to post impressions and wonder if what was not said is not a masterpiece, then what's the point to listen? Yeah. Uh, and then the, the other short one, uh, it's called Fog, and it's like one of the first like poems I wrote. Yeah. 
Laying like a blanket, the air becomes clouded in thick gray cotton. It becomes harder to focus as the duvet slowly moves forward. Like sand counting down the seconds that are left, wrapped in your embrace, you are never holding, but you're always there. A feeling creeps over me the longer I stay engulfed. A desire to pull someone close to find warmth in another, one I cannot find alone with you. You are a blanket being pulled over my head, silence and silencing and muffling the sounds of the world. I'm not sure about how I feel about you quite yet, but I do hope you linger longer. That's it. And you just heard Bryce uh, at uh, the March 5th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event that was held at the Tea Room on campus again and as hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Lynn. Thank you, Bryce. So next up on the open mic, uh, please welcome Lynn Loon. Lynn, do we love her? Yes. Good. Give it up for Lynn. I'm gonna read something from my chat book. Yay! Short story. I air out my bedroom at dusk, cranking open the hinged window away from me. The indoor atmosphere that was sunbaked for the past 11 hours, I now usher a lazily past the squeeze. A moth flies out from the open trap. The size of a loony, brown and gray, with a drip of elusive orange on the top side of its wings, like a human eye weeping tangerine mascara, blinking with each wing beat and looking through me. The small light then dissolves into the night. It will be mingling with its comrades now in the nocturnal realm. It occurs to me that the window, jointed on the long side with a thick white frame and a cross in the middle, was last opened the night before. The moth must have been drawn in by my light and trapped between the glass and screen for a night when it should be living and a day when it should be sleeping. A cool breeze walks past and I try to imagine what the moth she had experienced. Being drawn in by humans' artificial sun and having a door close in on her. Seeing other moths fly by in the night, beating paper wings against transparent rock until the world begins to change. A light outside the dome of stars shines in, revealing canvas clouds lit up from inside, sculpting depth and volume to what was once silhouettes, turning the world's brightness up, all the colors without words to go by them, a moving painting. The compound eyes absorbed all this, something never seen before in her short life. The invisible painter's presence is only felt in shadows, Shrinking inch by inch, signaling the arrival of a godlike entity. My window faces the west, and as the first rays of sun peek past the overhang, the moth burns it into her fleeing memory. She realizes her insignificance as the blown orb lengthens the shadows, as she exposes herself to the blaze. Hour after hour, watching until finally the sun sets in a myriad of dazzling colors, overwhelming the senses and the moth is back in her nocturnal niche without a glare in the wide sky. Then I open the cage and she, sunburned, weak and starved, escapes into the night. I stand there, breathing in the breeze. Will the moth return, 
seek refuge from the environment at a windowsill that waits for the sun. For the rest of her delicate life, a week out of the cocoon, will she spend it all obsessing over the beauty of daybreak, something her species has never seen? A sobering gust of wind ruffles my thoughts. Who am I kidding? It's just a moth. Eat, breed, and die, living out its insect instincts. One of millions of others, a slave to its DNA, and might even have a lower chance of survival from being trapped for a while. The night is no longer comfortable. I crank the window close and face my reflection in the glass. Eyes dark, eye back, drooping, bloodshot. I move closer, but the window is no mirror, and my tired face dissolves into the darkness. Looking out, my eyes that had adjusted to the artificial sun not see anything. The window's closed. No sound, no smell, just stone hard glass. The moth would have been looking at my light like that yesterday, all nights long. A human body faced a rectangle of lights, fingers, and dancing mania my first day without sleep. The first night for going sleep. When I saw the sunrise today, I was scared, frightened by what I had done, what I'm capable of. Step back from the window and turns into a mirror again. The eye contacts my peripheral vision. What am I doing with my life? Immersed in a virtual world instead of a sleep cycle, accompanied by a trapped insect in the mirror. It's not healthy, I know. Unnatural for a moth to see the sun, no matter how beautiful and terrifying it is. And you just heard, Lynn, uh, from uh, the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic, a strictly open mic event, held at the Tea Room on campus and as hosted again by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Tia. Please stop talking like talking, get me, stop. 
nothing reaches my heart, nothing withstands the cold or survives the shock of my nuclear headache, hair trigger, slight and delicate hairline fracture, pressure cracking more and more, pressure heavy against the skin of what will never stop moving. My friends tell me that next fall we'll all be moving. They tell me I've been counting down too long to stop now. They'll, they have no helium to help my heavy. We'll be okay, they say, smokestack mouths in the cold. After all, it's never been worse than a fracture. Get away before I give you all a headache. When I'm alone, I become my own headache. Trapped inside my skull, I watch neuroses moving, green and black insects click and shiver and fracture against each other's shell, and they can't ever stop swinging. Momentum propels them into the cold pit of cliche. So I say, my heart is heavy because I cannot touch, only feel. My heavy hand falls on your heart and it splits like a headache. I too am wide open, I am raw, I am cold, but still I am a feminine product, moving frightened through all the cracks, but I am a bus stop, I am a thawed bag of peas against a fracture. You can't see how heavy, you can't hear it moving, still the headache persists, impossible to stop. I know how cold I am, how ice-like I fracture. whenever I think about being 16, chest hollowed out and heaving, thinking about how to set fire to myself without feeling it, listening to the Frank Turner album that makes me regret all the feelings and fun times I should be having while it's summer and it's warm, but I've never had fun and I've never felt warm. I'm refrigerated by this machine inside my chest. Just look at how I'm made of ice cream. Time's shown my eyes so thick and resilient, I'm thinking of making my body a storefront. Sure hope it makes more money than my last business because it was an unlucrative sale of apathetic daisy chains. It was lying on my kitchen floor, my face dirty, warm. Listening to the elevator music a crisis line makes when it starts to pick up on the rhythm in your chest, beat of your hand shaking the potato peeler, thinking, I should do this more often, <laughs> at least a few more times. Hey, Emily, do you remember all the times I cried in front of you? How many days did it take before I showed you what I was thinking when I was scared? I'd never make you feel warm like I should have made you feel, like your chest was full of the opposite of ice cream. Something makes me wonder whether talking to you again ever makes you sad, because I'm sadder now than all those times. You've just been swimming around in the shallow of my chest for a while. It doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about it. The pool is full of old trash, salted, cloudy, and almost warm with all the fogs I don't even remember things. Sometimes thinking about the spring of those switchblades makes a wound so cold it's warm, cuts so deep that sometimes it sticks in me, freezes like ice cream in my chest. And that was Tia from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam Strictly Open Mic event held at the Tea Room on campus. And that, again, was hosted by Billy Kearns, whose voice you hear introducing and thanking people as they 
come to the mic and then sit down. Up next, here is Jack. Hello, um, I'm going to read one original poem and uh, one thing by somebody else. The first one uh, is my poem. It's called uh, 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 Themes on Chapter 6 and Content Warning for General Political Violence References and References to Hunger Strike. The lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as if, it, as if it were the noise of thunder, a voice saying, Come and see. And I saw and beheld a pair of white horses. And the woman and man that sat on them were draped in red, white, and blue. And no crowns were given unto them, but they went forth conquering, and to conquer, declaring, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité, and E Pluribus Unum. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard another voice saying, Come and see. And there went out another pair of horses that were red. And the purpose that was given to the swordsmen that sat thereon was to take peace from the earth, and that they should exterminate their brothers and sisters. And they marched under the banner of a pair of rising suns. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard a third voice saying, Come and see. And I saw and beheld a black horse. And the two-headed beast that sat on it had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard the head with a commissar cap declare, Doloi kulaka is kolokhoza. And I heard the head with the bowler hat declare, if he likes to starve himself to death, we cannot help that. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a fourth voice saying, come and see. And I saw and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on it was death, and hell followed with him. Uh, and the second one is by uh, John Darneal, who uh, frontman for a band called the Mountain Goats. It's called You're in Maya. Um, and big content warning on this one uh, for child abuse and alcohol. Uh, he hit me right in the face. I drove the Falcon uptown. Hung out in the library parking lot. The swelling will never go down. Pint of Hiram Walker's in the lining of my father's old corduroy coat. Big, big plans hatching in my brain and a big, ugly lump in my throat. I drove up to Harvey Mudd and I played pinball till I didn't want to kill anyone. Polished off all my cheap whiskey and, set, uh, and stepped out into the California sun, singing Banyam Boishangao Na and the juice of the barley for me. Singing Banyam Boishangao Na the juice of the barley for me. My thirst carried me up the coast, where it only got sharper, goddammit. In a small room that got even smaller, a block away from the Willamette. There was nowhere I needed to go, and nowhere I wanted to be. For my window looked out upon nothing, and nothing looked right back at me. I had a couple of things on my mind, a couple of problems to think through. And I drank till I couldn't see straight anymore, until there was nothing to drink to. Singing Banyam Boashangao Na, the juice of the barley for me. Singing Banyam Boashangao Na, and the juice of the barley for me.
And you just heard Jack from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room. On again, that was on campus and as hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Aaron.
works as the final energy to add it. Home is an encyclopedia of bloodlines, an archive of unprocessed biology. Our collections are in disarray. This mess is our family. We have such a desire for history. It clings to us like a child, like the smell of unwashed sweat creeps up on us at odd moments, distracts us from frying the onion, cutting the grass, domestic productivity. It is most intense in the moments we do not have to spare. Between hanging the laundry and picking up a friend on our way to movies, about the newness of now and the end of the future, cut to a scene about forgetting. Our feelings about history wake us up at night. Our bodies aching from a feverish desire or anthrax poisoning. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Late, drowsy with insomnia, we count the broken branches that no longer make a sound against our window pane. Our nostalgia about the cuts that brought us quiet. Listen to the ghosts dust in the darkness. We talk about history like a mother we can reach over and touch, like a part of our own body, something physical we hold between us, insisting that the other be gentle, gentle, knowing what we feel and scared of what we're capable of. We might lose it in our joy. Here's my baby, I say. I let him hold her. I don't even cry as you walk away. And you just heard Aaron uh, from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam strictly open mic event uh, that was held again at the Tea Room on campus and again hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Bob McKenzie. Sections. It's a uh, memoria or honor or something to a uh, mentor I had long ago who may not have known she was a mentor. And she's not dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, intersections. The muse comes only on a whim. Elusive angels come when needed to bring light. I no longer remember how we met, walking down among the arts or in some downtown Calgary cafe. Katie was 10 years older than me, already an established artist of new dimensions in sculpture. I saw her energy as artist and teacher, the magic of creating form from nothing, but mostly I saw this woman's grace. Her process in art and in life, lessons for a poet feeling his way one word at a time into some future. Here the center can hold 
circles within circles where the twain do meet, degrees of separation caught up in patterns somewhere near the edges. There were hours spent with Katie on the streets and in her hillside carriage house home above the city. Encouragement and advice over tea in her kitchen or her large studio to a poet not yet steady on his feet. The past tumbles, slideshow images from another life, another world gone, memories flash, time passes. Memory flickers like the old time movie images of this artist I knew long ago who helped a fledgling learn to fly. Poems written long ago remain portraits of Katie in her studio or home, casually filling that space with love and beauty. Tumble down yellow hair under blue bonnet artist hands, one with children as they learn. Portraits of the artist as a young woman, teaching children the joy of making art, forming future artists as they mold clay. Framed in the window of unfinished buildings, children shaping soft clay form heads of unknown men. The artist smiles as the students mold. That's for Katie And now the jazz poems. Jazz Cafe. Blowing sacks in shadows, stippled, dank basement, beatnik cafe, begets black and white images. Cleo Lane sings soft blues, baby blues, as John Dankworth blows cinematic jazz rips into the night. Abandoned souls finding refuge among shadows in the corner whisper blue moods softly. The words lost in reaper smoke poets read, Cleo sings soft, Dankworth wails, jazz soothes. begins with a room, pale red and cool blue light, scattered silhouettes at tables, soft saxophones wealthy through cigarette smoke and casual conversation. At the bar, a splash of light seems meant to expose the woman who waits, slowly sips her drink, waits for something, waits for someone, waits deep in a shadow, no light can erase. Sorrow bends the woman, leads her forward, slumped with elbows, abjects on the bar, slows in her drink. On the woman's right cheek, a tear draws a damp line downward, echoed by sax lines, cutting the smoke, underlying her blue mood. Another tear slides, another tear, and another. The woman knows nothing will happen now at this bar. The woman knows nobody will come to meet her here. The woman knows nobody knows her sorrow, what she has lost. The music stops. The woman stands, a quick, perhaps furtive glance at mere human silhouettes in the smoke, walks slowly to the door, lets in the sunshine only for a moment. There is only the sax again caressing the air, and the sad silhouettes under red and blue lights. The woman is gone. And this is Seamus. Seamus is, is a very old word for private detectives. Not the famous Irish poet. Famous. Gentle as light rain, the jazz blows soft 
those blue and gray shades of the street awash in October dusk. Hands in trench coat pockets, fedora, tipped over eyes, wary of shadowed threats, I walk this street alone, slow as a sax man plays. Look back and light up in lamplight circle, soft as the rain is falling, become a shadow still waiting for something to happen in this evening street alone under a streetlight, watched like I'm crazy by a guy playing soft sax on an, on an alto sax. Cafe poetry reading. They're all the evening in the crowd. Tabletop linoleum accepts my elbow and submits as though I were an old friend that had known long ago. The wooden chair racks my knees with history while they grow numb from sitting here too long and jukebox jazz becomes cold noise. Up front, a poet reads banal jokes with pregnant pauses and pour, suggests some bedside cosmic witchcraft exists for the lovers, like a universal law of love. I press my elbow deeper, cherish the comfort of old vinyl, imagine squares with cameras, let my thoughts blur into gray far from this curtain of poems. And you just heard Bob McKenzie uh, from the March 25th Queens Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room on campus and as hosted by Billy Kearns. Uh, before I announce who's next, I probably should at least let you know you're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce and here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Let's go ahead and jump back into it. Up next, from that uh, Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held on March 25th, here is Jack. Shaky wonky rhythm rhyme, you will find in weakness might. Mine is yours and yours is mine. Everybody's going blind, purpose for your heart is sight. Steam train going down the line. Scrape your way across the grime, what is wrong is also right. Mine is yours and yours is mine. Every different bit is fine, don't give up without a fight. Steam train going down the line, mine is yours and yours is mine. And again, that was Jack from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event uh, 
held at the Tea Room and hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Kobe. Director last year. Kobe's done a lot of great work on our stuff. But anyways, Kobe's also a great poet. Do we love him? Yes. Good. Give it up for Kobe. I feel bad because there's all this uh, build-up. This isn't one of mine. This is by Marshall David Jones. It's an old favorite. Last night. I had the most interesting dream. In it, I was six years old at a national spelling bee. Genius, complex words like serendipity, duodenum, phloxanox, and hillification, all spelled correctly, right up into the final round. One word between me and victory. The spellmaster clears his throat. Young man, your word is father. The crowd began to chatter amongst themselves, all upset at the simplicity of this final word. I search the audience for those eyes, those eyes that say, everything is going to be okay. Just do it. I realize that dazed off. Young man, your word is father. I stood up straight, licked my lips, and began. Father. M-O-T-H-E-R. Father. The spellmaster looks at me, looks at his flashcard, looks back at me, says, I'm sorry. But you're incorrect. Wait, wait, I don't think you understand. See, my father is sitting right there in the audience. Excuse me? I'm sorry, son. You're incorrect. Well, you, sir, can save your sorry apologies. Because you must mean incorrect, as in within the parameters of being right. Let me explain something to you. Obviously, you ain't grown up where pops or rolling stones down the hills of women's backsides, and when, it and when he comes, all he left us was alone. Or menstrual men stroll around on bikes, and fathers balance their menstrual, two jobs, two kids, and a life on a unicycle, and looking something like this. Breastfeeding with one arm, phone on the shoulder, cooking with the other, cleaning with one leg, and tying sneakers with their teeth. Young fathers who make mistakes, because none of us are perfect, but the one mistake they never make is abandoning their seed. You see, fathers are master gardeners. They tend to every leap, removing the weeds, placing us in the windows of opportunity so we can lean towards the sun, and we never forget the sky is the limit, planting kisses on our cheek, cheeks, hugs on our back, growing their love on us the best way they know how, like my father. My father lived a daily nightmare, so I can live my dreams. My father watered me in blood, sweat, and tears in hopes that I'd be ripe for the harvest, and I hope I'll be as great a father as she was to me. Do not ask me to spell deadbeat, sir. If you'd like deadbeat, here it is. F-A-T-H-E-R-D-A-D-D-A-D-D-Y-P-O-P-P-O-P-S if you'd like the slang. You asked me to spell father. Where I am from, my life, father is and always has been and always will be spelled M-O-T-H-E-R. So open your encyclopedia. So open your encyclopedias. Show me your flashcards. Open your dictionaries. Because what Webster says, there'll be nothing around here. Around here, my father is sitting right there. And I love her.
And you just heard Kobe from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held again at the Tea Room. And that's on campus. And the event was hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here is Kat. I can't help what I want, I can't forget what I know. 
I inserted myself between the bad and the worst because I'm in love with the chaos and I want to be first. And you just heard Cat. Uh, from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event, again held at the Tea Room and hosted by Billy Kearns. Up next in it, here again is Bryce. Yeah, okay, Bryce. Do we love him? Yes! Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing good poetry. You're all really awesome. Really good. Uh, this one is called uh, Weightless. <clears throat> Have you ever lost your luggage at the airport? You know, on the conveyor belt thing, the one that goes round and round, never stopping. I can't say that I have, but I think I want to. Of course, I'd have to get on a plane first, which I've never done, except when I was two. But at, uh, but at that age, you don't really have any baggage of your own, past the frustration of Grandpa telling you you can't keep the toy dinosaur that you saw at the gift shop that you really wanted. You can't have that because that's not for you to decide. But besides that, everything else is carried for you. You don't need to carry the weight by yourself. No one ever wants to leave their baggage behind. It's scary, it's frustrating, it's a lot of stuff you brought with you up to this point in time. Things you tell yourself you need that you can't live without. The shoes you bought to make sure you fit in, but they feel heavy and wrong, taking you down a path wrought with misgivings. The shirt that doesn't look quite right, but then again, neither did being with the people you wore to look like. The pants you bought because she liked how they looked on you, but when you wear them, you look in the mirror and wonder what she saw. The sweater she gave you to keep you warm, but instead it feels like a cold weight on your chest that never really goes away. All these things can be lost at the airport, caught on the conveyor belt thing in the endless roundabout that goes round and round, never stopping, only carrying baggage of all the people trying to take off and land. I've started to take steps towards forgetting her. It's all in a box hidden away, but I still get stuck when she comes back around. I took her sweater from my closet to put in that box. I will admit I pressed it against my face when I picked it up, but not because I missed her. I did it because I wanted to see if she was gone. I bought myself a new jacket, also made of jean, but a new shade of blue. I threw the jacket with a sweater on a conveyor belt leading far away from me. This new jacket was blue, like the color of the shirt she wore when her eyes first met mine. But this jacket is different because she didn't pick it out. My eyes did in the crowd when I saw her in blue. I am taking steps towards leaving her behind. I am placing it all in boxes and bags. I am doing everything I'm supposed to, but I am scared. How much of what I keep was her, how much of what I lose was me. When I close my eyes, she comes back around and around and around, never stopping. I am scared that forgetting her will hurt me more than she ever could. I want to leave this place and fly to let go of what only weighs me down. I'm working on finding the courage to try and go to the airport someday soon. I was told to be careful I don't lose my baggage. And I can't say that I will, but I think I might try. Thanks. And you just heard Bryce uh, from the March 25th, again, Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room on campus and hosted by Billy Kearns. And uh, coming up next, after 
hosting the event all evening. Let me just get this queued up here. You're going to hear her reading next, so let's see what happened here. Let's shoot for this again. Okay. Well, it's a spring day out there, the first one of those we've had, so that's kind of nice. Here, I think I've got it queued up now, so let's give this a shot. Here should be Billy Cairns again from the March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room. Try too hard, the bubble will pop. 
trick is being patient without glasses. The trick is knowing when to wake up. Okay, and this last one I'm gonna say because this is like I think the pinnacle of me writing a poem because I just like writing poetry and it's no like there's no deep like visceral life existential thing in it. Okay, anyways. <coughs> she somersaulted through the cracks of my oven and did a great time tap dance with cast iron flinches. My initial reaction was to jump back astonished but this alluring dancer took a hold of both my hands and spun me in circles on the linoleum floor of my kitchen. And yes, she was beautiful. Fishnet stockings clustered her thighs, and her torso was hugged by a red-heated leotard that glinted in the light of 61 bars. Sparks blew off her burning hair, and they pricked my skin as we spun it stung, but only made me hold on tighter. Her smile, framed by lips adorned with crimson beeswax, beckoned mine to come closer. Closer. Not too close. Still, close enough to see the steam from the kettle begin to pass through the reflection in her pupils for a fraction of each of our revolutions. The kettle saved us. In a murderous soprano, the kettle saved us. Lady of Red let out a sizzleless laugh, then slid a hand down to the small of my back. She leaned forward, stitched me closer to the ground, then pulled me upright so that my ear was by her mouth. Hear the sound of the sparks flying off her burgundy hair. They seared their way into my eyelashes. We have 34 seconds left, she whispered. So you must release me. And I will expand, reach down to the furthest corners of your hallways and paint each fiber of your clothes on myself. Her breath nuzzled its way into my ear canal. The kettle still singing behind us. I let it sing in solo until it became the white noise of our embrace. But the kitchen timer scolded me and screamed that if I waited for too long that she'd no longer be herself, that she'd become a charcoal memory of who she used to be. So I stopped clinging on to her, set her free through my arms so that she could watch me take the kettle off the element, much like lifting a needle off the rubber. Lady raised an eyebrow and tapped the cast iron plated shoe while she waited for me to let go of the rest of her. Not her body, but her image. So, armed with my oven mitt, I opened the oven door and she tripped the light fantastic to every corner of my home. And that was Billy Cairns from the uh, March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event held at the Tea Room. Tell you what, let's do this, and uh, I'll be right back. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. 
I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. Walk Home is one of the services provided to you by the Alma Mater Society at Queen's University. Walk Home is a completely confidential and anonymous service where students will pick you up and walk you to any location within our extensive boundaries. We are located in the Lower Cayley of the John Deutsch University Centre. You can request a walk by dropping by the kiosk or by calling 613-533-9255 during our hours of operation. We are open every night from dusk till 2am, Sunday to Wednesday, or till 3am from Thursday to Saturday. During exam season, we are open until 4am. Last year, we completed over 10,000 walks, walking the equivalent distance of crossing the width of Canada and back. So whether you're feeling unsafe, want someone to walk with after a night at the library, or feel more comfortable walking downtown with someone, call Walk Home. If you have any questions about the service, please feel free to contact us by calling 613-533-9255 or by emailing walkhome at ams.queensview.ca. And you are listening to uh, Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Uh, my name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. So we do stream live online as well at www.cfrsc.ca. So I want to thank you for having tuned in to what is essentially now the first hour of the show. I guess we still got about a minute and five seconds left. But... Uh, listening to the first hour of the show in which we covered uh, Queen's uh, March 25th Queen's Poetry Slam open mic event. I will mention that uh, quickly, and I usually do this at the end of each hour, that uh, both hours of the show, as soon as I get home each week, are saved to my blog space for it. and will remain there actually four years at Finding a Voice on CFRC fm.wordpress.com so just want you to know that I do hope you can stay tuned for the second hour today we're going to I'm going to air uninterrupted I believe it's about a 45 minute track of uh, 
a book launch and talk. Uh, very interesting. That was just held uh, recently. What was the date on this? It looks like uh, April 4th, I believe. So, anyway, and it looks like we have approached. Sorry, I just hit my mic as I reached for the mouse. So, sorry about that. Hope that didn't make a lot of noise out there. Uh, welcome with that. That was like an alarm clock, I guess, to the second hour of today's show. It is 5 o'clock, and you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, again, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And again, we do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour, this second hour, and I was right, it was from an April 4th a book launch and reading event at Novel Idea Bookstore. You'll hear Rick Prashaw talking about uh, and reading from the book he co-wrote, and that will make sense as you listen, with his son uh, about and around the latter's life. And the book is entitled Soar, Adam Soar. Uh just first, quickly, I, uh, it's just the usual hourly announcement that occasionally some uh, poetry, spoken word, or music played on the show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I will also have a few minutes at the end of the show today, just a few, I believe, uh, to share a few upcoming events, maybe even a call. We'll see how that works out. So with that, let's go ahead and go straight into, again, the April 4th book launch and reading event at Novel Idea Bookstore. Again, you'll hear Rick Prashaw talking about and reading from the book called Soar, Adam Soar. Uh, the evening began, and you'll hear this. I'm sure I've got it all there. In fact, let me get it set up here. Uh, began with... Uh, a greeting and a welcome uh, by Oscar, the owner of the store and Novel Idea Bookstore. And then uh, Rick uh, was introduced by Mary Rita Holland. And I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and just go into it. Here it is. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much for turning up tonight. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be an extremely interesting evening. Uh, apparently, there's someone that's going to introduce Rick. Yes. I'm, I'm hiding back here. She's, she's hiding. Yes. She's hiding. So come Hello, on everyone. Out. I know everybody. Okay. Spoke to you a little bit. Hi. I didn't realize they were posing you like this. It was amazing. Yeah. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, my name is Mary Rita Holland. I'm a city councilor here in Kingston. And I am meeting Rick for the first time tonight, but have a number of connections. Uh, the Catholic Church, for one. And um, the NDP is another. And the CBC. Uh, Rick is a full-blown CBC uh, superstar here today in the city of Kingston, and uh, oh, so therefore involved in three of my favorite things, uh, CBC journalism being a major part of my life. Most importantly, Rick is here tonight because he has an incredible story to tell, and he is a prolific writer and a, an incredibly strong advocate uh, for equity, for organ donation, for multiple number of causes that um, many of us take for granted, but we're really we're very lucky to have people like Rick working behind the scenes. 
and drawing attention to these causes and uh, being an eloquent um, writer and speaker. So we're thrilled to have you here tonight. Thank you. I read some of it. Awesome. I was telling Mary uh, Rita that uh, I've had family introduce me. And that comes with a risk, you know, <laughs> because they basically take the biography and your degrees and your accomplishments and they throw it and then they tell some crazy story. Uh, and uh, it's just nice to uh, be here in Kingston tonight. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Oscar and uh, his family. Um, I kind of knew this, but in this tour and becoming a published author, you go around this province and you just realize, you know, there's just too few independent uh, bookstores. And so the, for you to have this place is just uh, such a gift. And I just hope you love it to death and uh, um, support it because uh, for my book to find a home here means the world to me. Um, you know, uh, nothing against those other names that we all know selling, but uh, to be here tonight at uh, this bookstore uh, is, is very special. And then Mary Rita, uh, she corrected me. I thought it was a first term victory in the fall, so she was reminding me it was the second term, but it was so much fun on municipal election night to follow about seven or eight friends and just to put a little tick mark beside uh, some wins. And it was uh, through Jamie Massey and the introduction to Mary Rita and uh, to come tonight. So this is my 12th reading in two months since Soar Adam Soar was published on February the 2nd by Dundurn Press. I have been to Ottawa, Toronto, Collingwood, North Bay, Sudbury, London, St. Thomas, California, more about that in a second, <laughs> and then back to Northern Ontario, my roots, and uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Elliott Lake, and now tonight, uh, uh, Kingston, number 12, and number 13 and 14 will be Saturday in Picton. So if you like what you experience tonight, tell your friends that two events, Picton Library, Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And then my niece has put together this amazing fundraiser in the evening for calling it Queer Voices, where the local artists and me uh, are going to uh, be doing readings and song and other things, all for a fundraiser for Trans Forum, which serves uh, Belleville and Prince Edward County. So that's Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. It's on my Facebook and web page for, for the location. Uh, so 12 in wintertime, memo to the newbie author, I said, Rick, let's do a summer release next time. I was north of the 75 car pile up at Barrie, just north. I was uh, in a few whiteouts, uh, but not one cancellation. Uh, pretty amazing, you know. So I think between Adam and, uh, and the angels looking over me, uh, uh, it's just good to be April. <laughs> it was so beautiful to drive today, early this morning, uh, from Ottawa. So, um, uh, tonight, um, when, I, when, I, when I, I talk about Adam, there's 75,000 words in the book, so I, I have to contain my enthusiasm. I will not read uh, extensively. I, I'm learning that people often want to know the backstory and some of the bits about uh, the book. 
so this book uh, on my son, Adam, uh, grew out of a desire as a former Catholic priest and a former journalist to tell my kid's story. Now, as the first chapter explains, it turned a dramatic turn with some of the events that happened in Adam's life, what I imagined I was going to write about, and then uh, given one cruel weekend, as I call it in the book, uh, it very much changed directions. But I know, like I said at Global TV this morning, um, there's always the headlines. We always are, are smitten by the headlines, so you know, Oh my God, Catholic priest marries and becomes proud father of a transgender child. That sort of has people's interest. And then, you know, oh, then there's a tragedy. Of course, every story has to have a tragedy. And then there's a redemption of it through this uh, kid, as I refer to him, even though he very much wanted uh, to be known as a, as a young adult and living as an adult. He ends up as a registered organ donor, and we'll talk about that later with a, a local speaker about that remarkable gift of saving four lives. And then, if that wasn't enough, the heart recipient, uh, so much like my mischievous son, kind of skirts the rules in Ontario and identifies himself, and we become best friends. All in the book for you to read, 75,000 uh, uh, words. But let me tell you about the kid. Uh, I don't go to those headlines first. I just go to the kid. And the kid was just this uh, crazy, crazy kid. Uh, I'll read a little part in a second about 17 minutes of labor. And that sort of was a harbinger of an entire life lived in the fast lane. Lived a crazy, impulsive fast lane. Loved Batman. Loved Carey Price. Uh, why? Because at 12 years old, tells us, or 10 years old, wants to be a hockey goalie, still is Rebecca Adam, as I will get to that story, uh, and plays seven great years in the crease where I believe uh, he came to learn some life lessons uh, about the crease, the goalie crease, when the goalies who have to stop life's uh, shots and uh, be the team leader and carry the team sometimes. And so that's my kid. Uh, tattoos, they drove me nuts. I would just finish uh, uh, the latest financial talk about that. Are we all agreed now that we're not going to have another tattoo? Open Facebook and go, oh shit. <laughs> tattoo number nine. Well, guess what? Rick got his first tattoo, which with the kid told in the book about our uh, Labrador uh, Murphy. And now I'm thinking about how my second one is going to be a, probably a combination of the uh, purple ribbon and the uh, uh, certainly the organ donation and Carrie Price and a hockey net. It's all going to work out. Uh, that'll probably be my second tattoo, so say, stay tuned uh, on Facebook for that. But my, somebody said, is your book sad? I said, well, there's a sad chapter. I can't go around that. I would love to go around that. But no, you have to go through that with me. But no, basically it's not sad because my kid never did sad. Never. Had a hard life couple of brain surgeries with epilepsy, had the uh, challenges of a transgender journey, the discrimination, the hurts, the misunderstandings, all of that. But after a 24-hour rant or lament, 
back on Facebook. My favorite picture in the book is, there's a couple, but one of my really favorite pictures in the book is, I call it Rocky. It still has Rebecca Adam, 12 years of age. Uh, no, not 12, it be 16. And um, 12 hours after eight-hour brain surgery because it looked like this was a really, they never said cure, but a real good shot at uh, better life with uh, less frequent and less severe uh, epilepsy seizures. We went for that. <laughs> the kids said, well, Dad, that's a no-brainer. Of course we're going to do that. I said, yes, that's a no-brainer, son. So let's go and do that. And sure enough, um, 12 hours after the surgery, wrapped in bandages, he's on Facebook with this gorgeous grin on his face. Uh, that was the kid. So he's the co-author because there was a time when I was going to paraphrase his words. And uh, as I come from a place of faith, although it's evolved in many ways, uh, uh, from a Roman Catholic faith to, a, I think, very indigenous and, and many religions and many rivers uh, influence uh, in my life uh, to this notion that uh, uh, I'm still his dad and he's still my son and we have a current relationship. I talk in the present tense because he talks to me and especially when I got it wrong. So like I was going to paraphrase his uh, post and one day at the computer, loudest possible voice. Sometimes it's texting, because we text it like incessantly, and it comes right down the middle of the head, and I know it's him. But three or four times, it's been a very clear voice. And this day, he said, Dad, use my words. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So I got to put the post in. How am I going to do that? Well, Dundurn put this magnificent things on the margins where sometimes he just shows up like he did in life and it's got nothing to do with the story, but he's just commenting on the Habs or commenting on Batman or giving a joke and you'll see that. Some readers say, oh, I'm so disappointed when I turn the pages and there's not a, another Adam post. You know, you should, have, you should have had one on every page. So here are my top five right now. They change every now and again. Here's my favorite five posts. Just to have you be sure that you're not, if you have to go to sadness, Adam's going to rescue you from sadness. So one of my favorite ones is two weeks before the tragedy, and of course not knowing the tragedy was going to happen, I'm in California and I'm on the beach and it must have been old Father Rick inside of me, but who knows why? I text him, I said, crazy question, Adam, do you believe in God? Ten seconds later on the beach, boom! Oh yeah, it's you that's unbelievable. <laughs> I still laugh every time I, I, I read that. So, um, do you ever think the clouds look down on us and say, oh, that one's shaped like an idiot? <laughs> or knife. I always carry a knife. You never know, cheesecake or something. <laughs> Two days before the tragedy, he posted, he said, if robbers ever broke into my apartment, surely I'd laugh and join them in search for the money. <laughs> and then uh, another favorite one of mine is, being an adult is the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> so uh, that's the kid. And um, obviously some key parts to the, to the story uh, is the gender story. And so I'm going to read from chapter 3, which is uh, called A Beautiful Baby Girl. 
And uh, there's three versions of the birth. The first is told by the mom, and then I'm going to read my second one. Adam's is the best by far, and you could read his F-bomb at Facebook post on his announcement of who he is and who he always was. But here's my little version. I'm a Catholic priest. Think about this. 41 years of age, I marry. I thought I knew something about birth and babies because I baptized a few hundreds. I was clueless. Clueless. I knew nothing about birth and babies. So when Suzanne tells me we're having a boy. I go, okay. And this is early on. She said, oh yeah, it's so like my David, and it's so not like my Linda. And I see some moms like nodding. And she just said, this is a boy. And so early in the pregnancy, we start calling the kid Adam. And so on April 22nd, coming up in a few weeks, uh, 1993, uh, 17 minutes of labor, uh, we have the, the birth. And this is my version. The labor is short. I hold Suzanne's hand too hard. She tells me to look south or I will miss the quick birth. An intern catches a baby. No doctor could be found fast enough. The intern breaks the news of the gender of her child. Mum is gobsmacked. A third girl? Where did our Adam go? Suzanne sits halfway up on the delivery table looking for a second opinion. The intern, the calmest in the room, announces that although it is the first baby he has ever delivered, he is confident <laughs> that we are parents of a beautiful baby girl. But mothers know best. So, two years of age. I remember it as clear as yesterday. Two years of age, the inevitable question, how many kids do you have? Suzanne would answer that at two years of age, I have two girls, one boy, and a wannabe. Oh. Pardon? <laughs> a wannabe. We have a girl who wants to be a boy. She saw that at two years of age. So we had the tomboy years, and then we had in high school, you know, um, where I'm going to read there, you know, the cute boy pics on the wall and probably trying to fit in. But then there was a coming out uh, where Rebecca makes it pretty clear that she thinks she must be lesbian because she likes girls. So let me read to you chapter 6, which is called the T-Train, T for testosterone, and for the beginning of the journey to, to, uh, to Adam. Now... I have to, it's obvious when you read it, but now because uh, I'm reading it, I'll, I'll try to make it clear when Adam's speaking. You'll know when Adam's speaking. <laughs> that won't be a problem and, and then when it comes back to me. So I start the section saying, um, June the 9th, 2014. This is Adam. So, I've made a long wanting decision that I hope everyone will accept and respect. As of now, I ask if everyone can refer to me as Adam and use him or his. I hope everyone can respect that while I start this interesting journey. Please and thank you. Back to me. Coming out, coming in, coming home. All with a polite please and thank you. Adam wants to identify as a boy, have a boy's body. It's clear from his Facebook post that he didn't wake up one day and decide that he was transgender. He's recognized a boy in him for a long time, even as a kid. He knew, that, he knew that there was something different about him. Nothing wrong with him, he just has the wrong body. It took time, though, sorting out who he is. Like her girlfriends, Rebecca went through the phase of pinning the cute boy pics on the bedroom wall in Canada. As Rebecca, she became interested in girls, which made her conclude that she might be a lesbian. But still, something wasn't right. High school is a confusing time for most kids. Who to like, coming to like yourself. 
How much harder must it be when at the same time you're figuring out core gender identity issues, who you truly are? He knew that the girl in the mirror was not him. Back to Adam. September 27, 2015. I didn't choose to be transgender, but I did choose to be comfortable in my skin and to be authentically happy. He's quoting someone anonymous. Back to me. I suspect that you can know who you are for a long time, but not know the terms of your identity, and not dare to be who you really are, understandable given the conflicting, overriding desire that we have to fit in. Adolescence can be a tortured, twisted time, the shades of grey, the angst playing themselves out sexually in other ways. Adam may have felt more like a boy, but he still wanted to fit in. He had no models for becoming someone other, for identifying otherwise, for transitioning, for questioning gender assumptions. He was only ever surrounded by cisgender people. How could Adam take the risk to imagine otherwise when he didn't see himself anywhere? He got the constant messages too, about the two distinct worlds of boys and girls, the locker rooms, the bathrooms, the sports. It's a boy! It's a girl! Is the first declaration we hear when we're born. Boy or girl, this is society's great divide. You have a beautiful baby girl, the intern announced to us one day in Sudbury. In Sudbury. So many of us use gender as a basis for looking at others. So I suspect Adam and others might hide their true selves, might adapt, might attempt to fit in, might improvise and follow society's script. Sadly, such coping strategies produce an identity that often is far away from the true one. Society's norms leave little room for play, for discovery, for trying things on, or being okay in the in-between place of transition. Individuals can end up lost, torn apart. But I see now that Adam is not going to deny himself any longer. This is Adam's big breakthrough. And uh, one of the pictures that's up there on the wall is the ID. The ID picture. For that kid, you know, I've been on this tour now and I try to get somebody, and sometimes it's been young people speaking themselves, you know, what that meant for him. To have a job where he was recognized as Adam. It was his first job. He was so proud. He just grew. You could see him grow in front of us, you know, that he was Adam there. And he has some funny post about him, feeling silly, sexy, look at me. He says, Adam, I'm Adam, you know. And so the last year, which of course we didn't want to be the last year, but the last full year was this major transition that he, as much as I, and he better than I, shares uh, in the book. So I could spend a lot of time on the transgender. I've been uh, on the road where I was in one town, Collingwood, where there had just been a suicide. I've read reports on the mental health challenges, the overwhelming, you know, like just think about it when you're not Subject for who you are, or you can't be who you are, um, enormous, and the lack of resources, and so, you know, just the challenges at all levels of government that we work to provide, you know, those uh, resources for people. So I want to get on to the second part of the story, and we're going to have a local speaker uh, on this second part uh, in a few minutes, uh, and that is um, what happened on that weekend in January 2016 and how it connected a decision that the kid had made before that I didn't know about, and then what happened on that weekend and afterwards, uh, which is the whole organ uh, donor story. And it's uh, great that uh, uh, we're wearing the green uh, tonight 
uh, for Oregon uh, donor, uh, Oregon and Tissue Donor uh, Month uh, in uh, in our country. So um, I was in California uh, with my sister, and the phone rings. Friday afternoon is two months after Adam's second uh, brain surgery. Had gone back for a post-surgery uh, uh, checkup. It was excellent. No signs of seizures. Not a seizure in 60 days. Uh, everything was good. Adam was excited, talking about going back to school, working with kids, uh, getting the license, maybe playing hockey again. Everything was good. And so I'm out, and the phone rings, and uh, I'm never great with hearing. But I know that my sister in California is looking at me with a not a good face. And all we hear is uh, seizure, drowning, and uh, I'm in California, 3,000 miles away. So I want to go home, of uh, course. And, um, on the way to the airport, my sister, the <coughs> nurse, she will tell me later that she rehearsed in her mind what she had to say to me before I left the car because she knew it would be the last time she would see me. And it's what every good nurse and what every good doctor has to say. Uh, and so as I went to get out of the car, uh, she grabs my hand and she says, uh, Rip, we want Adam to live. We hope he's going to live. But you know, if it's not meant to be, uh, he's a young man and he's such a good and generous person. He will want to give his organs. And I remember so clearly I said, yep, oh, absolutely, and that's not going to happen. But, you know, <laughs> I was completely like, that's not going to happen. And I explained that all. And so I got on the plane, and it was a red eye in more than one ways. And I joined the vigil for 36 uh, hours, uh, precious hours. But uh, unfortunately, I, as a former priest, knew too much when I walked in the room and what I saw. And I did not see anything good. Uh, in the room of how serious it was. But the paramedics had resuscitated and brought the kid uh, to the hospital and uh, he was, quote unquote, alive. So uh, we get to uh, typically me and the different yin-yang with a couple and a relationship. Um, Suzanne was in a different place than me. I brought up a couple times on the weekend uh, about Adam being an organ donor. and. Suzanne just went, like, just stopped me dead in my tracks. She wasn't against it, but it, it wasn't, my timing was crappy. It wasn't time. She was rooting for a miracle. She was in another place. And so we waited, we waited. And finally, about three in the morning, without in between us, uh, Suzanne says, you want to talk about some things? I said, yes. I bring up the matter of organ donation first. I start to say what I suspect Adam wants. Suzanne stops me. She knows for a fact what Adam wants. At 16, unknown to me, when Rebecca's G1 license came in the mail at Suzanne's house, she discussed the organ donation line with her mom. She gave her unequivocal yes to help anyone if she ever died in an accident. There was no hesitation from her then. There will be no hesitation now. His goodness and his courage have been evident for so long. So it was the easiest decision on the hardest weekend of, of, of our lives to uh, do what Adam wanted done. And three weeks in Picton, Ontario, I opened a letter from TGLN, William Giff, that uh, Adam's act of generosity has saved four lives, um, a heart and two kidneys and a liver. Four people. 
the kidneys and the liver went to women and the heart went to a man and I can never get that out without choking up because it was just so perfect it was just so perfect that I remember crying and saying you know that you know it didn't matter really but it kind of did that the heart was in a man you know given his journey so it really was a very moving moment and we thought that was it but no not with a certain heart recipient and how smart he was and not with my kid who I started to felt uh, was not out of this picture uh, by any means. And so um, there is a man who we only know as Anonymous who writes the most remarkable letter who will tell us later on that he woke up from receiving his heart with two ideas. I want to know who gave me this heart and I want to run a marathon in his honor. So. We get this amazing letter. Uh, where is it here? John's letter. Uh, again, the whole letter is in the book with permission, and I'll let you read it. But here's uh, the key part from John. Of course, I don't know that his name is John. I've had incredible caring and support from my family and my absolutely amazing and wonderful team of cardiologists, surgeons, transplant coordinators, and nurses. But there is no one whose generosity, caring, thoughtfulness, and compassion even remotely compares to that of your beloved family member, my donor. Words cannot possibly explain the feelings of pure joy, love, respect, and gratitude I have towards your family member and all of you. We wrote back in kind. I wrote most of the letters. Suzanne did a very important postscript that plays a very important part in what is going to happen then. I'll just start off and say, I'm your donor's dad. I will begin this letter and his mom will finish it. Just as nature outside nudges us to believe again and spring a new life, your letter arrived. We find ourselves naturally in a place of grief. However, your gratitude, your generosity, your humor, and especially your to the brim overflowing yes to life mean the world to us. I've read your letter more than a dozen times and I suspect they'll be reading it more in the months and years to come goes on and on and on, but in the postscript, Suzanne gives a very key line that meant the world to this heart recipient. I would be grateful to hear how your recovery is progressing if you are inclined to share it with us. And he also meant, she also mentions that indeed the story about the driver's license, please know that this heart is sincere and it is his generous gift. It was uh, intentioned and it is sincere. So John feels that he's got a little bit of a signal that he can continue. So uh, he Googles, he sees some lines that are used in my letter. He uh, puts four phrases. I swear to God, Adam probably had Trim get to life uh, just not really functioning on all levels that day because probably they, you know, they do a very good job to delete all personal identification. So uh, John goes, epilepsy. Hmm. Hockey goalie. Hmm. He knew the date. And I say, at a remarkable celebration of life. He puts in those four words and phrases. Boom. Adam D. Prasha. He had another uh, truck driver who was way too big. He said, no, it's not him. He knew. And then he read the obituary and then he knew because the phrases were identical that were in the letter. So, again, clever as he is, he uh, creates a Facebook page of one person is his friend. And uh, again, no name, no picture, 
still anonymous, and he says, I am 99.9% certain that I have your son's heart. I don't know the circumstances of the death. I don't know how you guys are doing. If you do not wish to meet me or to know who I am, even without meeting, I completely understand. So, so respectful. I was about to text him when I see that, that he's texted me, and so I answer him and I go, uh, you have my son's heart. Of course I want to meet you. And it's pathetic that you only have one friend on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> he knew with that line that we were going to be friends and it was going to be fun. He has a wicked sense of humor. He cheers for the Montreal Canadiens, just like my son. It's terrible. I gave him Carrie Price's sweater because, you know, uh, get better use there than, than, than with me. And we met um, with the heart uh, to hear, listen to his heart. We've been at two races and cheered him home. It's a wonderful exception to the rule. It works for us. And at this time, before uh, I give my final uh, little message on organ donation and we wrap up for the night, I want to introduce the local speaker here. Uh, is it Shalane? Yep, Shalane. Shalane Labat or Labette. Um, Shalane was born with a genetic disease, cystic fibrosis, in the early 70s in Kingston. When she was diagnosed, the average age of survival for someone with CF was five years. You've done pretty good. <laughs> Regardless, her parents helped her to lead as normal a life as possible while still keeping her health in check with a very strict regime. Shalane graduated from Queens and after backpacking through Europe, worked as a pharmacy technician at a couple of hospitals here in Kingston. She married Simon in 1999, had to leave two, work two years later with a lung function of only 30%. In end-stage lung disease on a ventilator in Hospital in Toronto, uh, Shalane was extremely fortunate to receive the gift of life just in time in the form of two new lungs in 2005. She's been a member of the Kingston Transplant Advocate Association since 2006. There's other people here tonight and was awarded with one of the inaugural Advocate in Action Awards by Trillium Gift of Life in 2018. Good evening everyone. Thanks for inviting Thank me you. to speak, Rick, and to include the Kingston Transplant Advocate Association to your book signing for Soar, Adam Soar. The TAA's mission is actually twofold. It's basically to provide support, knowledge, and encouragement to those touched by organ and tissue transplantation, but it's also to inform the public about the need and benefits to others of organ and tissue donation. We carry out the second part of our mission, which includes educating the public about the need and benefit to register at beadonor.ca in conjunction with Ontario's Trillium Gift of Life Network. Currently, the percentage of registered donors in Ontario is only 33%. However, 85% of Ontarians actually support the idea of organ donation. In Kingston, we're a bit higher we're at 48%, so that's a little bit better, but as we know, there's always room for improvement. And that's because currently there's over 1,630 people on the transplant waiting list in Ontario. And unfortunately, 
every three days, one of those people die waiting for a transplant. Many members of the Transplant Advocate Association, some of them here tonight, I can see them sitting right over there, um, they can attest firsthand how organ donation has changed their lives. Not only changed it, but has given them an entire second chance at life. I can see Joan over there. She has had nine extra years thanks to a living donor kidney transplant from her son. Uh, Lynn, sitting back with a TAA hat on here, he's had eight extra years with a double lung transplant, like myself, and that's thanks to his donor and their family. And I can see a couple others out there too. Um, but as you know, as Rick said, I personally, I just celebrated 14 extra years, and that's thanks to my donor and their family who generously gave me the gift of life in the form of two new lungs. As Rick mentioned, I was born with CF. In my early 30s, I had end-stage lung failure. I was carting around um, my oxygen tank 24-7 to put everywhere I went. Um, and basically, in days gone by, it would have been, you know, it was the end of the road for someone with CF. It was, that was it. That's how it would end. However, um, like Greg said, I was in Toronto. I was on the list. It was 5 p.m. on February 23rd, 2005. I was laying bedridden in the ICU at St. Mike's Hospital. I was hooked up to a ventilator. I no longer could breathe on my own. My nurse was outside my room. He was on the phone. He came in to tell me that had been Toronto General and they had long spread. It's hard, that's the, that's the hardest part there. It always gets me when I found out. So for me, there was a glimmer of light at the end of that tunnel. It was a completely overwhelming feeling. It's a moment I'll never forget. I was so extremely happy and relieved, knowing that I'd held on long enough to get that far. But I knew, there were, you know, I felt sad because I knew for someone else, for me to be getting that amazing news, someone else's world was crashing down around them. So being on a ventilator, I couldn't speak, um, but I immediately picked up my pen and I wrote a note to my mom and I said how sorry I was for the donor and their family because they had just lost their loved one. My life-saving surgery began 12 hours later at 5 a.m. in the morning at Toronto General. And fast forward today, as you can see, obviously, it's a complete success. I've enjoyed 14 extra years with my family and friends, and that's thanks to an organ donor, an organ donor like Rick's, son's Adam, Rick's son, Adam. Donors like Adam are heroes, plain and simple. They have completed the ultimate generous act by having the forethought to register as an organ and tissue donor and to talk to their family to impart their wishes. Adam is a hero to all recipients like myself, but especially to those four individuals that he personally gave a second chance. So from me and everyone at the Transplant Advocate Association, thank you Adam, thank you Rick.
One of the real treats as a newbie author is to um, patch this uh, tour together and uh, meet people like Shalane and the others that are here tonight that just put a face and other body parts on, uh, on, uh, on uh, the organ recipient, you know? It's just really, really special. And same on the gender story, to, to meet people that just are out there in the, in the province. And uh, in California, I said I'd mention why I was in California. Um, uh, it's in, explained in the book, but uh, there's a short dock out called A Racing Heart. And it's the story of John and his... Uh, heart recipient and of course it does mention Adam and I have a small part to play in it uh, and um, it was at a major California film festival and we were all out there and um, doing some readings and uh, having a great week and uh, uh, it was uh, terrific uh, to have John out there and this is where I invoke my seniors rights and just speak plainly about organ uh, donation and recipient. The thought that I would have buried or cremated the organs and not have this man living, it's just beyond me, you know? Um, so it's so important um, not only to get registered, and the only way for sure that you know is on your health card and the back of it, in capital letters, it should say donor. And if it doesn't, then you have to fix that if you thought you were registered. So it's on your health card. And then equally important is you tell your loved ones. Because uh, hundreds of people are dying. He's <laughs> <laughs> an important man. He climbed. Uh, <laughs> hundreds of people um, are denied their wishes because uh, either... Um, the loved ones didn't know their wishes, or the weekend is just so hard. It's the worst possible weekend to make these decisions. It really helped us to know that uh, this was Adam's wishes. So um, it takes two minutes. Um, you said the numbers. Uh, the registration rates are low. Uh, the belief in it in theory is high. I think everybody wants to be in the receiving line. <laughs> and uh, when I do all the advocacy work and I talk to people, it's so rarely for any religious or philosophical reason. There is such a small, under 1%. The inevitably body language get all kind of sheepish and they look down. You know, I haven't got around to it. You know, life's busy. Uh, and who wants to think about dying, you know? And, and in our death-denying culture, you know? We'll, we'll line up for an Apple phone for 18 hours that's going to die in one year. But we haven't got two minutes to save up to eight lives. It's, what a magnificent gift. And the cool thing is I talk to seniors. I, this is the best. I, I talk to the seniors, and I tell stories about how people 80 years old uh, donate, and their organs are good for, like, they work for 40 years. True story. Several true stories. And I remember this one senior in the front line. She just did a fist pump. She said, yes! 
I'm good. I'm gonna live on. She she was just so thrilled that she possibly was. She said, "I wasn't good for anything. You don't want anything of mine." I said, "No, we do." So it's an amazing thing to to realize. It takes two minutes. It'd be a great gift tonight for Shalane and for Adam, for John, and for me uh, that we do check and that we make that decision and we especially you know have have that conversation with loved ones. Anyway, this has been probably too long, so. Um, I'll bring it to a close. I know that uh, there's some books for sale. We could sign. We can have that nice informal conversation. Uh, I always like to end. I've decided in the last five readings to end uh, with two messages. I really worry, and I really seriously do worry, that I might give a false impression. First of all, on the gender thing as a dad. People might look at me and say, what a lovely, what a beautiful guy that he did this. He just said yes. No! <laughs> Read the book! <laughs> All my fears, my questions, my are you sure? This kid was impulsive. Is this the latest flavor of the week, son? You know, I needed to talk to social workers. I needed to talk to the doctors. I needed all kinds of reassurances. But yes, out of my father and out of my faith, there was never a doubt in my parents. It, it was always going to be acceptance with the roller coaster ride in my life that I go on. So I don't think that it was just neat and nice and packaged. It wasn't. And number two about grief. Uh, grief is permanent. It's forever and a day. And so remember that for everyone, uh, your loved ones. Uh, there's no such thing as closure. There's no such thing as time healing. It is forever. I can be back there in one second. I might walk on the street and see a Batman something, and boom, I'm back there. Like that. I brace for the obvious days that you expect, and sometimes they're bad, and sometimes they're not bad at all. But you never know, and so it is permanent, and it led to uh, <laughs> my sister pushed me through a door. I wanted to close the book off really fast afterwards. Okay, Oregon, that's the news. Goodbye, everybody. I'm just going to go into this room. And my sister said, you can't cheat the readers. They want to know how you're doing. They want to know how's it going. Thanks, Jude. I really didn't want to go there, and so I do go there for about four or five chapters that I share about that grieving and that relationship with God and the gods and how it evolves and uh, how Adam has uh, uh, many ways, you know, with the heart recipient. I forgot that heart recipient uh, piece of the story is that I was every night uh, saying yes to f new Facebook friends, and the reason that uh, that John got to be my friend is, I like... Adam Adam wanted uh, Adam had some friends with the Capital Kings in Ottawa, so they did some burlesque and they did some drag stuff. And Adam was too shy, so he didn't do that. But he was their publicist. He would just hand out their sheets and do a little bit of promotion for it. So I was getting some, let's just say, really interesting requests for friends, and I would just say yes to everyone. So this sounds like really dumb, but honest. One night, heart recipient. Oh yeah, boom. Go to bed. Went to bed. Nothing the next day. The next morning was another time the voice, so loud. Heart recipient. Oh, yeah, right. And that led to that. He's also led me to a park bench, a magnificent park bench memorial, a program in Ottawa where uh, you can dedicate a bench. And I sit there often and I do my reading. And it's really cool. Uh, but Adam, I had no idea what the money should go to. And it was so very loud voice one day. 
park bench. I had no idea what he meant by that. I had to Google it and find it all out. So a very much a current relationship. The grief is permanent. The gratitude is permanent. And um, I just wanted to reinforce that, that it's not something that you just get over and, you know, get on. So thank you so much. Thank you. And you just heard Rick Prashaw in his April 4th book launch of Soar Adam Soar as he read and talked about uh, and around his uh, son Adam's life and then led into uh, the talk by Shalane, I believe the name was, uh, toward, uh, toward and about uh, organ donations. So it was a wonderful evening. So... Tell you what, though, let's uh, do this now, and I'll be right back. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. Alcoholic drinks aren't created equally, and they all have a different percentage of alcohol by volume. The following are classified as one standard drink. 12 ounces of regular beer, 5 ounces of wine, 1 shot or 1.5 ounces of spirits, 12 ounces of cooler or cider. Binge drinking is classified as having 5 or more standard drinks in one sitting. Serious binging can occur while engaging in drinking games as more alcohol is consumed in a shorter amount of time. Now that you know what a standard drink is, you can avoid engaging in binge drinking. If you drink, remember to drink with caution and keep in mind those who are around you. Standard size your drink. Serving sizes may be larger than you think. For more information regarding alcohol, please visit everydrinkisachoice.com.
Every Monday night, you can learn a little more about classical music and what it's doing today. Listen to Counterpoint, hosted by myself, Selena Chirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7. have a uh, couple of minutes to talk about uh, one call I believe in uh, a few upcoming events but uh, first I want to thank you for tuning in today you have been listening to uh, Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall Queen's University Kingston Ontario my name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca and again as I did in the first hour I want to remind you that each hour of this show each week uh, will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after the show ends and I get home and you can find them there at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com they will remain there for four years so and I plan on ending with a song today I don't do that very often anymore so I'm going to try to do that today and uh, the one call I'm going to uh, mention is about music, actually, and I just saw it, and it does, the deadline is the end of April, so uh, the deadline is Friday, April 26th, so that's just like two weeks away at midnight, and it's a new local music pilot project called YGK Music. Uh, they're seeking submissions from local musicians, groups, and organizations to have their music featured on a special playlist. And the project is being launched by the city of Kingston in partnership with the Kingston Accommodation Partners to showcase and promote local talent through curated playlists. Tell you what, it's a long announcement. I'm just going to give you the website for this where you can find more information and also an application form. And it's cityofkingston.ca and then just slash YGK music. And let me go ahead and page forward now to events. And there are a couple coming up tomorrow uh, on Saturday already, and that's why I wanted to try to work these in. Uh, We'll mention one, too. There's a weekly one uh, that I should mention because uh, I just found out about that. I think I knew about it, but I added it to my list of things. Uh, there's a writing group that meets every Wednesday with the exception of those in August at 7 p.m. in room 239 of the Stoffer Library to critique and support one another's writing. Fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and memoir are all represented. Uh, for more information, it's a... Uh, uh, an email account. It's D, as in David, D. Pratt, P R A T T, 1939, at hotmail.com. Cool. And that's every Wednesday night. And Kingston Front Neck Public Library has a monthly speaker series, and uh, 
one of those this month is going to, they're going to welcome on Saturday April 13th at the uh, Calvin Park branch which is at one uh, oh that can be right you're gonna have to look that one up I've got the wrong address here right? in fact you might just want to go to www.kfpl.ca and they will talk about the event but uh, they're gonna have Janet Fenton uh, tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. Uh, she's the outreach uh, program coordinator at Sandy Pines Wildlife Center near Napanee, and she's going to talk about uh, what to do with wildlife injuries and injured animals and uh, probably a lot of other things. There is also quickly here uh, a book launch and signing uh, Ian Shaw. Uh, Ian Thomas Shaw will be at Novel Idea Bookstore tomorrow from noon until 3 p.m. So you want to check that out. And then this coming Thursday, uh, April 18th at 7 p.m., Armand Garnot Rufo will be launching his new collection of poetry again at Novel Idea. Hope you can stay tuned for two hours of East Coast music, Novel Idea. <laughs> Saltwater Music is going to be on with Rob Carnell. Love that show. Hope you can stay tuned for that. And here is Mazzy Star again. Thanks for tuning in.
If you're aged 18 to 65, are in a current episode of depression, and are not currently taking any antidepressant medication, then keep listening. The Center for Neuroscience Studies and Department of Psychiatry at Queen's University are running a 16-week study examining the effects of a probiotic supplement on symptoms of depression. If you're interested in participating in this study, please email Caroline at 15cjkw at queensu.ca. That's Caroline at 15 This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.